0: The behaviors that people have that can often seem toxic, unproductive, destructive, the people are usually engaging in them for some reason. They're experiencing some negative emotions. Those negative emotions exist because
1: that person hasn't unmet. Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Dr. Cindy Courtney. Cindy is the brilliant mind behind The jerk Researcher consulting agency which takes an evidence-based approach to conflict management within the veterinary profession. If you are a new graduate, it is likely that you will experience some level of conflict in your first job. But what do you do about it? In this episode, Dr. Courtney and I evaluate the scenario and offer real-life solutions you can use to mitigate conflict and positively impact your workplace. This episode is jam-packed with so much knowledge, so let's jump right in. So, Dr. Cindy Courtney, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Macaulay. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. This is an episode I have been looking forward to. And yes, I know I probably say that before every single episode, but it's honestly true. And this has been an episode long time coming because we first officially met back in VLC back in January. Hard believe that was like six months ago, right? Crazy. And I just really enjoyed your talks and also just like your background on things. I was like, this is something that we really need to talk about for these new grads. So why don't you take it away and kind of tell us a little bit about what the jerk researcher is to give us a little bit of texture and, uh, and context here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a conflict consultancy, and we do quite a number of things, but primarily focus on helping people prevent and treat workplace conflict. So we unfortunately live in a world where we need to and want to engage with other human beings. And it would be nice if That could come with no conflict and no strings attached, but unfortunately, we all have different needs, different desires, different feelings, and uh, generally those are going to clash at one point or another. And unfortunately, our schooling, whether that's in veterinary school, high school, elementary school, doesn't generally prepare us very well for dealing with those kinds of conflicts, especially when the stakes are high. And there's a lot of information out there that I think just isn't really filtering well into our profession. And I experienced some of those challenges myself when I first got out into practice, wanting to really do my job perfectly and putting myself under a lot of stress and then really pressuring my team to really perform at an unrealistic level, frankly, put us under a lot of stress. And that led us to have a lot more conflicts than we should have or that we needed to have, and that impacted our ability to take care of our patients. And we find that in the data as well, that when teams are in conflict, when there's toxic behavior, that ends up impacting patient care. So I think this is information that's not only really helpful and can make our workplaces much more enjoyable, but is also really important for us to provide the best care possible for our patients.
1: And as I'm hearing you say this, one of the big things, and people know I'm a nerd about this, was that it was evidence-based, yeah. like there are actual numbers behind conflict and conflict resolution in the veterinary workplace. So this is an area that I feel like no one ever learns how to do it perfectly, but it's a constant, prog- it's a constant process of growth, yeah. and that's why you can, you can never learn enough about it and as new grads this is something that like you said we don't really get a ton of it in vet school and also you're coming from the ivory tower where everything must be done perfectly into a T and then you're dropped into in most cases like for me general practice where ivory tower is not always like accessible or applicable to every single patient And so you're having to figure out, okay, how do I do things for this specific patient, for this specific client, in this specific practice, with this specific team? And suddenly the layers start adding up. And when you are the new grad coming in, like there are a lot of areas where you could potentially clash with your team and being aware of what those areas are can help prepare you in a way to try and mitigate that um, and come in with positive experiences and and benefit your team. So what we're going to look at today is that exact scenario. So I'm going to pretend like I am the new grad. I'm coming into this new practice. And what we were talking about beforehand was that you see a lot of scenarios where these new grads are coming in and suddenly there seems to be this little bit of tension that's forming between the new grad and the support staff and over time it turns into like this attack on the new grad or attack in that area because they're not quite in some instances doing things the same way that the other doctors do it or they um, are doing things in a way that they don't necessarily deem as safe and suddenly they're like hmm does this new grad really know what they're doing are they really a good doctor and of course that spirals you have a, a team who doesn't trust the vet and then the vet who doesn't trust the team and like you said uh, patient care is impacted. So tell us a little bit more about the scenarios that you see this happening in frequently.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so I think something important for new graduates to recognize if they find themselves in one of these situations where their team members are doubting them, or even telling them that they're the toxic team member, that they're the difficult team member, or that they're not a good veterinarian, is that these kinds of conflicts are pretty common. And that often, it comes from this innate bias that we have as human beings to look at a difficult situation and to start blaming people, instead of to look at the situation that those people find themselves in, and recognize that the situation is making things rather difficult. Which is, again, not to say that people don't play some role in the difficult situations they find themselves in, but we tend to overblame the people. Mm -hmm. So we tend to say like, oh my gosh, if that uh, doctor is doing things in a way that I don't like, it must be because they are wrong or they are bad instead of being like, oh, maybe this has something to do with the fact that when a new team member enters any business, there's this storming stage that happens where everyone has to kind of readjust And get used to what these new social dynamics are going to be as someone with new needs, desires, talents, skills, ideas, finds their role in this new team. And again, that's nothing unique to veterinary medicine. That's true of every single team. And that adjustment is awkward and it takes time to figure out. But I think in vet med, we kind of have this idea that if we are good enough at our job, if we are kind enough, if we are smart enough, that somehow we are magically going to avoid this very normal storming stage that everybody goes through. And you can be the very best in the world. And we're still going to have some challenges and some awkwardness when we first come into a new business. So I think that's one important thing to recognize. And there are some steps that people across the board, especially new grads, can take to make that uh, step a little bit less awkward. So one is to just get a good understanding of where they're going and what they're walking into. Now, in some places, this is going to be easier than others, because some practices know themselves well, and some of your coworkers know themselves well, and sometimes they don't, right? So if you're going into a practice that has a pretty good idea of what it's values are, or what standard operating procedures are, the way that they like to do things there, then it's much easier to come in and say, okay, like I recognize that these are the norms here. And if I start to deviate from these norms, that's probably going to be a source of conflict. If it seems pretty open and flexible, you might think that, oh, if it's open and flexible, then I can do whatever I need and want to do and everyone will be fine with it. But the truth is there probably are some unstated norms about the ways things are done, and you'll have to learn what those are (laughs) through osmosis before you, and you might land on some minefields in the meantime while you're trying to figure that out. So just because they're not stated doesn't mean that they're open to anything. It means that those are just uh, not out in the open.
1: The unwritten rules of practice culture. Oh man, I feel like that could be a really good post right there. For sure. (laughs) And uh, as you were talking, oh gosh, there were a couple things that, thinking back even to my own experience, which granted, I had a really awesome experience when I started in my practice. I thankfully had a clinic culture that was really supportive of having new grads. And I feel like, Kind of going off of your, your one statement about, oh, having a practice that knows themselves and can really stand behind their practice culture and their, what their practice stands for is having that conversation as the new grad when you're actually looking at those job opportunities and saying, hey, can this practice verbalize what they stand for? When they have a new grad coming on board, how do they prepare their team? Because as we were talking before the episode, like it takes a village, and actually that is a whole episode yeah. in itself. People can go back and listen to it with Doctor Kate Boatwright, and like there really is a whole conversation that needs to happen to say, hey, this is what I know about myself as the new grad. This is where I know I'm going to need to ask for help, but also like this is what my standard of care is. Do you guys like when you go into like doing dentals, like do they do dental X-rays? What is the level of anesthesia? Like like really start nitpicking. And to a degree, it's kind of hard as a new grad because you don't know like all of the things that you deeply care about until you're in it. And then you're like, oh crap, this practice doesn't actually do it this way. Or Mm -hmm. I was taught to do it a different way. Not that it's wrong, but it's different. So those are the things that were kind of going on in my head as you were talking about uh, having a practice culture that A is, well, here's the other thing that little bit of practice culture, do they have mentorship as part of their culture? That would be my biggest point there.
0: And what does that mentorship look like? Because I think for different people, they want very different things. I personally interviewed at a practice where they were planning on going over my files every single day and going over every single case with me. And I definitely had colleagues who they would have been very excited for that, to have that level of detailed support and review. I had been a veterinary assistant for six years prior to vet school, and that would have driven me absolutely crazy. So the practice I ended up at, you know, the level of mentorship that I ended up getting was more, there is always going to be somebody there for you to turn to and ask questions of, especially in an emergency. You're never going to be there alone on a surgery day. And you're going to have this opportunity to meet with somebody at least once a week to talk about cases and things that are challenging for you. And that was perfect for me. But again, knowing It's also important to know yourself and to know what you're looking for, which is challenging because when you're starting like just like you mentioned, you might not necessarily know all of the things yet that you want to need. And so anticipating that it's, it's not going to be smooth sailing all the time and that's okay. Giving yourself the peace and grace and the self-compassion to let it be a little bit bumpy and that to trust that you guys can figure it out together. And I think one expectation that we don't talk about very much. You know, we can think about the medical pieces and say like, oh, what do they do? Do they allow drop-off euthanasias? Wasn't something I was really on board with. You know, what do they think about, you know, surgeries and having somebody monitor surgeries? You know, what's their approach to, you know, again, like you mentioned, dental x-rays. But those business and communication things, what are those standards? We don't necessarily think to ask about that. And do they have a conflict plan? How do they deal with conflict? I love uh, recommending that early career veterinarians ask behavioral questions of the practice the same way that they're asking interview questions of you. So saying like, tell me about the last time there was a conflict on the team. What happened? How did you guys handle it? And what was the result? Look to get some idea of how conflict is handled on this team and whether or not that makes sense to you, whether or not they have a concrete approach or whether they pretend that conflict isn't going to happen. And so they don't have a plan. And that tends to be more like, you know, when you have that scared feral cat stuck in the corner and everybody's surrounding the cat and then it strikes somebody because it doesn't have a good path of escape, right, into that nice, safe carrier. You want to have a a path of least resistance for when conflict does happen. People know how they're going to handle it. So people just don't start getting angry and striking out at
1: each other. That's a really good example. (laughs) Thankfully, I haven't had to deal with that exact one, but I'm um, definitely a good couple feral kitten stories to go along with it. But those are some really good questions. Honestly, I didn't really think to ask when I was interviewing, should I have? Heck yeah. And that is something that I would definitely add when all of these students are looking at uh, developing mentorship clauses and developing what their mentorship program is going to be, is talking about, okay, how are we going to deal with conflict when it happens, not Oh, it'll never happen. But when it happens, because we are human, like it's good in a way that it's good that we have disagreements about these things. It's how we identify and then develop potential issues with how we practice and how do we do better and provide better client care or patient care, client and patient care. There we go. So those are some really good ones to add. So we've talked a little bit about um, having a, a practice that has good culture and being able to identify it. You, as the new grad, being able to identify your communication level and what your comfort level are, some questions to ask about mentorship, and then those behavioral communication questions to ask. That's like a really good one. Oh my goodness. So, in a way, that helps to mitigate issues when you end up in the practice. But Nonetheless, we can try and mitigate it as much as we can, but it's Absolutely. still going to happen. We're still going to have times where you're like, Ugh, I can't believe that person is doing that again, or I really didn't like how they handled this, but I don't really know what to do. And as you mentioned in the start, there are a lot of scenarios where it's say like the support staff, that, that tech who's been there for like 15, 20 plus years, she's absolute gold for that practice. Absolute gold for you as a new grad, for sure. I can't tell you the number of times that I asked all of the senior uh, vet techs at my practice, Hey, I need your help. I'm drowning. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> and they have saved my butt on numerous occasions. But, like, what do we do in those scenarios where they are the ones saying, I don't like what this new grad is doing, but you're technically the doctor and it's not technically your say? So, what do you tell people in this scenario?
0: Yeah. So I think there are two major approaches to consider. So first is relationship building and the second is boundary setting. So let's talk about relationship building first, because I think it's the one we don't go to right away, but is potentially the most productive. So I think we sometimes forget that the behaviors that people have that can often seem toxic, unproductive, destructive, that people are usually engaging in them for some reason. They're experiencing some negative emotions. Those negative emotions Exist because that person has an unmet need, right? And that need might be something hard for us to feel like. So maybe that person, you know, in their position in the workplace, they don't feel very powerful. And so you're the new grad, you don't have as much power as them, but they can have a little bit of power over you because you don't know how everything works yet. So maybe, you know, they're exercising that little bit of power that they can. You know, they have a little bit more expertise than you. Maybe they want to feel competent maybe, you know, there are a number of reasons that people can have what is in their mind a very good reason for acting the way they do. One of the things that we can do is by getting to know them better, by getting to assume the best (laughs) and going and talking with them about what they're feeling, what their concerns are, what is important to them, that we can start to build that relationship and make that relationship stronger so that they don't feel like, The only way for them to meet that need or to solve that problem is by blaming us or putting us down. So for instance, if that team member is concerned about the safety of patients and they see themselves as an advocate for patients and they think that something you're doing is unsafe, being able to sit down with them, to empathize with their concern, to talk through what you are doing to make sure that patients are safe may alleviate that concern and help that relationship move forward. So that is the first step is relationship building, getting to know these people, honestly, even just building a better understanding of who they are. I know one of the the big missteps that I took when I was a new grad was I was so focused on doing a good job and stressed about that and making sure I knew the factual knowledge of being a good clinician that didn't stop to figure out like, oh my gosh, you've been in practice 10 years. What have you done in those 10 years? What level of expertise have you gained? What skills do you feel like you're really knowledgeable about? What do you care about to be able to give people that level of recognition, to empower them, to trust them? Because I didn't really know them well enough to give them those things that they needed because I didn't know them well enough to know what they needed. So I think relationship building and starting there is really, really key.
1: Yeah. As you were saying that, I'm thinking about like figuring out like who's that, like everyone knows like the cat magic person. In the practice, or that person who's really good at drawing, like hard blood draws, Mm -hmm. and just getting to figure out how to let nurses do nurse work. Like, there's a number of times where my my nurses are really good, where if I'm trying to kind of help, but I'm obviously not very helpful, they'll be like, Go do doctor things. Yes. (laughs) Let us do our job. And I'll be like, Okay. And I'll run away. But we have that kind of relationship where I, I want to give them that freedom to use the skills and the knowledge that they have earned and they're good at so that, again, they feel like they are adding value to the relationship and to the practice. But sorry, I jumped in there, but I was just like thinking, I was like, as a new grad, you're going to find that cat person, that really good aggressive dog handling person, that blood stick person, that anesthesia person, like all of those different things are going to be the kind of um, things that you can be thinking about. So sorry, I jumped in.
0: No, absolutely. And how disempowering is it? if you go to the cat whisperer person and you take over handling that cat, yes. when you're the new grad, like it's gonna feel really cruddy to that person, right? And so it, you need to have that context to have those relationships be solid and warm. So, and then I think the flip side of that is having boundaries. Cause there are also people that we will encounter in our personal and our work lives who engage in destructive behaviors because those destructive behaviors are serving some purpose for them. Like so if somebody has really struggled with feeling important and they engage in say gossiping because that gives them attention, you know, you may need to uh, hopefully be able to leverage the standards of the practice and your practice leadership to help stop that behavior or you may need to be able to use your your personal power to set boundaries saying like hey, if i hear you guys talking about somebody who's not here in the room, I'm going to ask you to stop in my presence because I just don't feel comfortable with that kind of discussion when I'm here in the room. It's not okay with me. So I think those that duality of saying like, let's really emphasize the positive. And as people who work with animals and understand behavior, we know that the positive is that much more important and it's also not natural. And so we have to work much harder at it. So that's really where I'd encourage people to, to spend most of their time, but also know that it is okay to set boundaries and to know what isn't okay. And if there's something really bad going on, like somebody is bullying you or being verbally abusive or even you know physically threatening you, then that is not okay. And if your practice leadership doesn't have your back, you certainly should set a boundary of, of not staying in that workplace.
1: That's actually one that I've come across a few different times. Mostly on Instagram, when I'm talking about these type of things, people will write back and be like, oh, I have this, this and that kind of conflict, but the medical director or the practice manager doesn't back me up. What do I do? And I'm like, well, I guess you have no don't have to have any loyalty to that practice. It's That's going to burn you out. And honestly, it doesn't sound like they have a good practice culture. But beyond that, I don't really have much else that I feel like I can offer them. And it doesn't sound like there's much else to offer. Is that right?
0: So there are two pieces to that question. So one, I want to encourage folks that I think sometimes we get stuck in this idea that all practices are like that. And I want to encourage people that the data suggests that that's not in fact true. That when we look at, say, people in practices over the course of a year, it's only about, I say only, still 33% is probably still a lot of people who are encountering some kind of workplace abuse, um, verbal abuse, very, very small amount, only like 1% are ever encountering physical abuse. But that means that we still have that other two-thirds of practices, right? Nobody in that practice is encountering any of those kind of negative interpersonal workplace abuse scenarios, right? So there's still a lot of good places out there. So know that there are good places to go to. So you are not necessarily stuck. Now, there are some people who, based on non-competes, family situations, that they don't have a choice in those situations. They are really physically stuck, at least in the short term. So I still encourage them to think about how they might leave at some point. There's a great book called The A-Hole Survival Guide by Robert I. Sutton. I highly encourage them to read that oh, talks that's fantastic. the excuses people will tell themselves that get them to stay in that situation. Like, oh, I've got to stay for the team. The team needs me to stay. The team does not need you to stay. The team all needs to leave so that practice does not continue abusing people. But I also want to encourage folks that if you are stuck, there are things that you can do to help keep you more mentally safe and to create a more positive sphere of influence around you. So just because you are not formally in charge does not mean you do not have any power or influence. And there are things that you can do in the meantime. And for the folks who are in that situation, um, I would encourage you to not necessarily, especially if you do not feel financially, physically, physically, emotionally safe in that situation, sometimes the temptation is like, I've got to stand up to the man right away, don't I? And if you feel like that's morally the right thing to do for you, yes. But if you do not feel safe, or if you feel like if I do this, I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to go bankrupt, that might not be the right choice for you. And there are things that you can do in the meantime. So you can start documenting the things that are happening. You can start building a coalition of other people who are likely to be experiencing the same things you are in that organization. And you can build your personal power with an organization, building skills or relationships that that organization needs so that you can build the leverage to encourage them to change.
2: Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VedEx. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive community is a race accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of That Vet Life Podcast. Over to you, Mo.
1: Those are some really good things that I guess I can now offer to these students who are writing in, because I mean, feel like a lot of times it's within those first couple months where things are kind of rocky. You're yeah. going through that swing as a new grad where your imposter syndrome is really, really bad. And so any little thing makes you feel like, oh, the team doesn't like me. And, and maybe there are some truth to that, but then a lot of times there maybe isn't. I'm sorry, that was like an off topic one. But being able to say, hey, if you think things are really, really bad, A, first off, like go and talk to someone that you trust. Maybe they're not in the practice, but outside the practice, maybe an old mentor, someone from vet school, someone else outside in your family or a friend, just to kind of go through and process these different things to be like, okay, do you think what's happening in my head is really happening in real life? And then, like you said, like start documenting these things, put it down to be like, okay, this is what they said. This is how I responded this is what's happening in the rest of the practice, so that over time, you can kind of come up with that collection to say, yep, this is definitely true, or it was just a couple isolated scenarios, then I think I can figure out the cause, because it'll help you process what's happening. It'll help you feel less isolated about what's actually happening, and then should it come to it, you have a little bit of a case to talk to upper management or talk to that individual, in an edifying manner, because that's something that I know a lot of us potentially struggle with is how do we talk to someone that we're having a a challenge with, Mm -hmm. like similar with clients, uh, but also with our staff members that we're actually sharing the, the hospital floor with every single day. And being able to have those kind of conversations with them that says, Hey, these are the problems that I've been seeing or have been experiencing. But I also want to find a way to speak to you that is also caring. And that's the hardest part is saying, like, I don't want to end this relationship 100 percent. I want us to both learn and grow from it. And that's probably the hardest thing that I at least see for myself um, when I'm dealing with these conflicts. So other little uh, scenario that I think of in these when I talk to these students and actually one was recent was um in a practice that the current doctor has been there for three or four years and they brought on a new grad and the new grad really is just not listening to anybody so this is one of those scenarios where the new grad actually is wrong and so that's one also thing to consider is that there might actually be some truth to what these people are saying Mm -hmm. so how do you go through the process of figuring out am i truly wrong in my ways or is it someone that's attacking me? Because I know it's, it's really easy to think, oh, they're just yelling at me because I'm new. I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. They're just finding something to be wrong and I'm just the, the scapegoat. But what happens when like you, you truly are kind of at fault?
0: Yeah. And the way I like to think about this is that largely as human beings, we're not great at getting feedback. Like it's hard. It's hard to hear that there's something that we could do differently or, or God forbid that we're doing wrong. Right. And so if we are not ever hearing or agreeing that there is something we need to do differently, that's a problem because it is true of all of us that we could be improving, right? Like we all have the opportunity to grow. None of us has reached perfection yet. Ever. So what do you mean? What? <laughs> no, right? It's, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. And because people are often so feedback averse, it is a real competitive advantage to any of us to actually be able to find that gem of truth even in the most difficult feedback. Even in the feedback that someone has given us in a very unskillful way. And sometimes that feedback does come in very, very unskillful ways, right? Oh,
1: so, absolutely.
0: Often we need to calm ourselves and find uh, some space and some peace and kind of soothe ourselves. But after that, we need to dive into what somebody said and see if we can find a seed of truth in that. And the things I usually encourage people to look at are, are we hearing similar things from multiple sources? So are we hearing the same thing from different people? And then is the feedback that we're getting in line with our values? Because sometimes we are gonna get really consistent feedback, but it might be because we're in an organization that doesn't match our values. And they're saying, you know, you are really causing a big kerfuffle here with all this negative feedback that you're getting. But if it's really, really important to us to be a part of an organization that can hear feedback and grow and change and not in an organization that stagnates, then maybe this isn't the right organization for us. So maybe we need to change our organization rather than change ourselves. But if it's really important to us to, you know, be compassionate, caring and inclusive, and we're getting a lot of feedback that people feel like we're a know-it-all who thinks we're better than everybody else, that's not at all from personal experience, Um, (laughs) that, you know, that's not in line with our values. And that's something that we want to do self-reflection on and change. And so, yeah, no, I definitely agree that we need to be willing to receive feedback. We need to be able to compare that to the values that we have, and we need to be willing and able to change. And then as organizations, we have to set boundaries around what that organization's boundaries are, because there may be some people who come in and say, that's not in line with my values. My values aren't in line with your values. And in those cases, we have to be willing to let those people go, even if it's really hard, right? Because we're in a staffing shortage. And so there are a lot of places out there right now who are having to make the call and trying to say, what is the more important value to us? Being fully staffed or having somebody who will take feedback, right? And that is that is a really hard call to make. But at the end of the day, that is our choice. We have to make that choice. And when we have values, they call us to make these, these choices around which of those values is more important to us every day.
1: There's so much to unpack in all of this. And like, we could talk about this for absolutely <laughs> hours. Oh my gosh. Uh, just thinking about the different scenarios that like that students or new grads have um, DM me about. And obviously the experiences that you've had and helping people like consult them through this. It's like, we absolutely could go on onto this for hours, but we won't. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> um, I definitely want them to go and check out the York researcher and find out more information about you if they do have questions because I know there's probably going to be a number of new grads that are like hey this is what I'm experiencing I don't know what to do so since there are so many of them like what are the immediate resources that you recommend pointing these new grads who are experiencing this little bit of turmoil in their practices too?
0: Yeah. Well, well, first I'll say that often when people feel that they are in a toxic situation, I do often talk with folks directly so they can get in touch with me at our, at my website, thejerkresearcher.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, and they can direct message me, I often do at least short conversations with folks to kind of talk them through like, hey, you know, normalizing what they're experiencing, helping them gauge, you know, where their boundaries are and, and doing a little bit of reality checking with folks. So, So I'm Certainly happy to be a resource. There are also some really great books out there. So again, I think the Robert I. Sutton wrote two fantastic books. One is called The No A-Hole Rule, and the second is The A-Hole Survival Guide, the second of which I think is a little bit more practical. And then there's a fantastic book for those who are looking to especially improve themselves and to take a more critical look at their organizations called Mastering Civility by Christine Porath, who's a researcher out of Georgetown. So those are some of my favorite resources to guide people to. And then again, often when people get in touch with me, there are specific things that they're dealing with or they're looking for. And often I can direct them to a research that makes more sense for their specific situation. So whether it's, them being worried whether they're the jerk or difficult person, whether they're dealing with a jerk or difficult person, whether it's an organizational problem. They're kind of different resources that they need for each of those Mm -hmm. scenarios. So I, I try to help personalize those recommendations a bit.
1: Those sound like great starting points for vet students and new grads, and even people who've been out in the profession for however many years. But I do want to encourage listeners to go and check out The Jerk Researcher. Go on over and say hi to Cindy. She is honestly A very happy, fun, amazing person who's just been a wealth of knowledge for me. And I I definitely am going to be digging into her brain a little bit more here. So we'll put all the links for those in the show notes. But I know we're coming to the end of today's episode. I kind of want to ask so we have the the different resources for these new grads. But what would be, if you could choose one question, if we were sitting in front of a group of final year vet students, this is gonna put you on the spot. We're sitting in front of a group of final year vet students who are about to go off into the profession and make big changes. What's the one question you want them to ask themselves before they go to their first job? Put you on (sighs) the spot, take a moment.
0: I would ask them, Are they willing to pause and see what they can do to positively impact the situation before reaching for blame?
1: Ooh, that's a good one because you're doing a little bit more like a soul searching, figuring, okay, what is it about me in this moment, in this situation that can positively impact the people, the patients, the clients, the whole hospital? That's a big question.
0: And not even reaching for blaming themselves either. But to look at what can we fix around the setup, about the system, before we start blaming. Because I think sometimes we're equally tempted to blame ourselves as we are to blame other people in this profession. Instead, pausing, zooming out, and looking at what is it about this situation that is contributing to us acting this way?
1: That is beautiful. And that is the perfect place to end this episode. I can't think of a better way right now because we we took them through the whole process of, hey, this is a problem that it's not isolated to one practice. There are many, many practices that are dealing with this, but there are steps that you can take as an individual and steps that you can take as a practice in order to try and mitigate these issues um, and bring about positive change. But I think a lot of it circles back to that question that you just asked of these students is what can you do as an individual within these practices and what can make a positive impact for you and for the people around you. So that's where we will we'll wrap it up. But Dr. Cindy Courtney, thank you so, so much for coming on the show again today. We're gonna have to have you back because obviously there's not enough time to talk about all
0: these things. Thank you for having me, Dr. McCauley. It's been wonderful yeah, being here.
1: You're welcome. Well, until next time, y'all, we'll see you soon. Okay, bye. bye. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the Vedex community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Vet Life.